In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. When I first got here, I had the occasion to go up to Montreat to hear John Philip Newell speak. If you've not gotten a chance to read any of his works, he's really, really marvelous. He is a, I would say, a Celtic theologian. He is bringing back in his works the reverence for all of God's creation and our part in it, and a more Celtic sensibility for Christianity. I took many notes during his lecture, and one of the things that hit me the strongest was this. Being born again hits the reset button to our true selves. We are returning to ourselves again, not rejecting who we are. Now, as someone like many of you grew up who grew up in the Bible Belt. <laughs> that was certainly not the understanding of being born again that I received. And I'm fascinated by it. I'm going to put a comma there, and we're going to come right back to that. So I want to talk about something that uh, you might not have seen, but something that's important for us to understand, uh, a symbol in Christian iconography. Now, we don't have one here. But the next time you see it, you'll know, you'll notice. Now, we're familiar with halos around people's heads, the holy folks, the holy family, the saints, um, even certain things like, uh, you know, Peter always has a set of keys, and uh, St. Paul always has a, a Bible or, you know, a, a tome that he's reading, reading from or writing in. We know these icons, but there's one, there's one symbol that it's important for us to understand. If you were to take two circles and put them together, just overlapping them, the part that they share in the middle is called in iconography a mandorla. It's a space where these two spheres overlap Many, many icons and stained glass and different works of religious art will have either Jesus or Mary or sometimes both surrounded by this shape, this mandorla. Now, when I first learned it, I thought, wow, this is mysterious and wonderful. And then I realized that it's really just Italian for almond because that's the shape. It's the shape of an almond, right? <laughs> And when you realize that this simple shape has a place in iconography, it just makes me want to understand more. Whenever you see something inside this shape, there is action happening. There's a state of moving back and forth. There's action. There's change happening. Often, you'll see Jesus within a mandorla surrounded by the four Gospels, representing the word coming into the world. Or you'll see the, the infant or the child Jesus sitting on Mary's lap, surrounded by a mandorla, the gift 
of Jesus to the world, coming into the world. Considered in the Orthodox Church as sometimes the eye of God or the womb of God, mandorlas draw attention to what is happening within them and they are used as symbols of transition, transformation, sort of going from one state to another. They symbolize action, but they also symbolize rebirth. Now this rebirth takes a while, like all births take however long they take, right? We don't just walk through a door and find ourselves reborn. We speak of these spaces as the liminal, sort of in-between times, where we feel part of two worlds, at times conflicted, at times confused, but often creative and always learning, always learning and being transformed. This moment in John's Gospel, when Nicodemus comes to question Jesus, is a mandorla moment. Jesus opens the eyes of the old and wise man, the one who had years of learning, who knew the prophets by heart. Even though his mind was struggling to understand what was going on, his heart begins to be drawn. And the renewing of his heart, the born again process happens. Now Jesus does this through telling giving an unusually prophetic message to this old man. I mean, he knows all the prophets. He knows all the prophetic words. And yet Jesus, in this beautiful, intimate moment, gives him the crux of why he came. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And in these two lines, we have Jesus' reason for being among us. And that reason is for the eternal reclamation of all of us, not condemnation. I want to say that again. Reclamation, not condemnation. Now think about the ways in which you have heard or seen people reference John 3.16. There's the eternal guy in the end zone at the football stadium with the John, you know what I mean, holding this up, John 3.16. I don't know if anybody's ever been saved by that, but, you know, people do it. But when you think about when you've heard John 3.16, has it been used as an exclusionary statement or an inclusionary statement? Think about that. If you're like me, where I grew up, most of, it, most of the time I heard it used to exclude people from eternal life who did not confess in a certain way that Jesus was the Son of God. And it's sad, 
And one of the reasons it's sad is because it's never paired with the other half of this idea that Jesus is presenting, which is John 3:17. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God did not send Jesus into this world to condemn the world. Could we please have that put on a placard someplace, right? Wouldn't that be nice? Condemnation is not what Jesus is about because condemnation is not what God is about. God does not long to condemn the world. God does not want to destroy God's own creation, but instead reclaim it. Reclaim us into God's loving embrace. God longs to connect us back with that loving center from which we were born. That reconnection is being born again. This is not a rejection of the life we have led with its ups and downs. It's not a projection out saying that we're going to be perfect after this moment. It's about pairing back what has been put upon us by our culture, through our own selfish attitudes, and sadly, what's been taught right alongside the gospel to many of us for years. When we are born again in this way, we will be able to love God and our neighbor because we're reconnected with the source of all love. I grew up in an area where there were preachers who would ask you to name the time and the date when you were born again to make sure that you knew. If I was being cheeky, I would say Easter Sunday 1971, and I was four months old, right? <laughs> the thing is, the type of thinking that has that bifurcation of our lives forgets that we're constantly being saved, constantly being saved by the grace of God. Our minds, our hearts are constantly being renewed. We're being saved from our own selfishness, saved from the world's destructive tendencies, saved from small-minded bigotries that are taught to us, even and especially as young children. With this understanding of being born again, we can begin to rejoice. Rejoice with those who now are our brothers and sisters. We can rejoice with refugees who escape death and suffering to come to the shores of America. We can rejoice with those who are neurodivergent in some way and are finally seen as bright, loving souls with so much to offer and not somehow backward burdens on society. We can rejoice with our black and brown neighbors when we finally see them as siblings and not as anything less than beloved children of God. We can even stand with our trans neighbors 
who finally get to live in their true identity, if not yet in safety. See, when we open our eyes and rejoice with our neighbors, we are born again. The corruption, the years of oppressive culture and bias and bigotry begin to fall away and our true nature that we were created for and in comes forward. That nature is born again. When we hear from Jesus about God's love, we're not to think of it as a reference to avoid hell as a destination. God's love is about escaping the hells we create here on earth that keep us and keep our neighbor enslaved to wretched ideas and ideologies. That's how we're born again. If an iconographer were to write those moments in our lives, we might all have those mandorlas around us to signify the change that's happening inside of us. And if you need to give a testimony about the change that has happened in you, know that the testimony that matters is not yours, but that of your neighbor. For they will have seen your rebirth. Amen.